You know, uh, for as long as I can uh, remember, I've uh, always battled anxiety. Um, Not necessarily every second, not every minute, not necessarily even every day. But rarely does a week go by that I don't have some anxious moments. I can uh, remember as a child uh, waking up in the middle of the night and just being terrified. And since I was a mama's boy, I would uh, run to my parents' bedroom and uh, wake my mom up because I knew my dad wouldn't do much. So I uh, would wake my mom up and uh, she would, you know, console me and help me. And sometimes I stayed there and sometimes I got back to the bed. When I started school, absolutely the worst day of my year uh, throughout uh, elementary, middle school, and high school was the first day of school. Uh, It was the most anxious uh, I ever would be during the school year. And uh, people uh, would be around me and, you know, they'd try to encourage, but it didn't help. I never understood those kids that were so excited to go back to school. Um, They were uh, filled with you know, joy of meeting these teachers, and that was not me. And then I always hated the form of transportation that I had to take to go to school, which was this. Probably some of the most anxious moments of my life were on a school bus, and, uh, you know, nothing good ever comes on a school bus. And uh, in elementary school, the first day of school, um, I would cry almost every single time. In fact, I'm going to lose my man card right now, but, uh, heck, I've already lost it many years ago, Um, that uh, I would, hey, you don't have to say that. My wife's not here, all right? Uh, Just joking. Um, But, uh, you know, elementary school and and even middle school, it was that way. But I learned in middle school that you didn't cry, because if you cried, everyone would make fun of you. So I always came up with excuses. Um, When the first day of school would come and I'd start tearing up, I would get a pass to go to the restroom and to try to figure it out. Other times, I would just tell kids that I had hay fever allergies. I don't have hay fever or allergies uh, with that, but I did because I didn't want other kids to be able to see that, and I would try to hide these tears. Before my freshman year uh, in high school, um, we actually moved from Marion, Indiana to Anderson, and that was one of the biggest changes and one of the most anxious kind of moments up to my life uh, at that time. We'll talk about it later. In college, um, I was anxious. I remember being in a a truck with my uncle, who was a big redneck, tough guy, uh, just just tough, and um, he said, well, you're going to college. That's going to be great. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Ah!" like that. I started crying and weeping. He's like, boy, what's wrong with you? And he cussed a little bit. And he said, you'll be all right. And I was like, no, I'm not. You know, it's going to be horrible. And uh, then I got married, and it was one of the most anxious days of my life. And uh, Jennifer and I got married, and uh, I was just overwhelmed to the max on that day because I was marrying perfection, and any guy that has a mustache like that is not perfect, you know? I mean, it's far from it. Um, I was anxious on whether or not I could be the husband that Jennifer deserved. 
And I cried through like most of my wedding. And my father-in-law cried through most of our wedding. And you know what my father-in-law was thinking? That's the best he, she could do? Like, like, that's it? Now, to be quite honest, adulthood, I've still struggled uh, with anxiety regularly. I get anxious about work. I get anxious about my marriage. I get anxious about my kids. I get anxious about this church. I get anxious about my relationship with God. Sometimes I wonder, why is it that I'm so overcome by anxiety again and again and again? But I have a feeling this is probably just something I wrestle with, right? Huh? Just, just something that I deal with. Do any of you ever wrestle or struggle with anxiety? Statistics would tell us that one-third of all the people who are in this auditorium today are like me. You struggle with anxiety, but you find some kind of tool that you use. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's medication. For me, uh, often it's a lot of prayer and Bible reading and Scripture memorization that I do over and over again, although I've been on medication before and have gone to counseling as well. Another third of you, you're sitting there right now, and you're thinking, why did I come to church today? Because the reality is you battle with anxiety in a huge way, but you don't tell anyone. You just live in denial, and you have some really dark days. And so two-thirds of us in this room are struggling with that. Now, there's another third of you, quite honestly, who don't get anxious about anything. You have little to no anxiety. And I don't understand you. And to be quite frank, I don't like you. Okay? Just joking. Just joking. Some of you, though, are very easygoing, and anxiety is not something that you deal with and you kind of struggle with it. But I guarantee you this, that there's somebody in your life, maybe a person in your house, who battles with it, and you need to know how to care for someone like that. So for the 70% of us who are here today, you need to hear this message. And the other 30%, you live with us, and so you need to hear this as well. Some of you, it doesn't matter what it is, you become anxious. It could be a relationship, a job, school. You become anxious about your kids, health, finances, your marriage, whatever it is. Folks, 70% of us who are here today experience some season of anxiety in our life, and for some of us, we deal with it every single day. You know, so often when anxiety hits us, what tends to take place is it becomes debilitating for us. And just because you're a Christ follower or you follow Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that the anxiety goes away and you're never anxious. And so this morning, I really want to help those of you who battle anxiety like I do with this big idea, that the presence of anxiety does not equal a lack of faith. That the presence of anxiety in your life does not equal a lack of faith. Now, during my battle with anxiety throughout my life, there have been many well, good-intentioned Christians who have tried to come up to me and encourage me. Here's some of the things that they'll say. We all get anxious. Just get over it. If you would just relax more, you wouldn't be anxious all the time. If you could just try harder, you wouldn't be stressed out. If you had more faith, then you would stop worrying. 
And my favorite one that someone told me one time, have you committed a sin to where God is punishing you and making you anxious? I wanted to hit that person in the mouth, okay? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, most of us battle with anxiety at different levels. And most of the time, the people who are around us are well-meaning when they try to encourage us to deal with it. But so often, it really doesn't help. Other people will come to you with well-intentioned and they'll give you Scripture. And Scripture is a great way to battle anxiety. There are tons of Scriptures, and I'll share one later on, that I've memorized to help me to keep my mind focused on things that are above. It's great. But have you ever noticed that there are some Christians who simply will give you a Scripture, but it's dripping with judgment? There's like, well, if you just said this Scripture, it would help. And all of a sudden, there's this judgment that hits your life. And all of a sudden, I feel this responsibility that it's up to me to fix it. And for many times, my anxiety, I felt like, was a punishment because I wasn't faithful enough. It was a punishment because I didn't pray enough. I mean, if I just prayed enough, if I just did the right things, then I wouldn't be so anxious in my life. You know, up until this point, I want you to know that God has not taken my battle with anxiety away from me. And sometimes I wonder, God, I know you could do this. I know you could take it away. Have you ever thought that before? That you just look up and you say, God, I know you could take this thing away. Why don't you? Folks, so often, especially in the church, people will say, well, if you believe the right things and you pray the right things, then you're going to be okay. Because it's just not okay to not be okay if you're in church. You know, on one hand, people will come and say, well, if you just prayed more, Chris, that will help with your anxiety, and it does. Prayer is one of the things that I turn to a lot, and it's very important for you to do that. But on the other hand, it's not the whole story. You know, up until this point, God has chosen not to take mine away. And I think the reason is is because that is what he does throughout Scripture. Have you ever noticed when you read Scripture that there are some people who do all the right things and yet their life is filled with hurt and being alone and being anxious? And there's other people in Scripture that you can find who do absolutely all the wrong things and they end up in positions of high power and they have very little anxiety. So again, we have to realize the big idea that the presence of our anxiety does not equal a lack of faith. Now some of the things that are really comforting to me is that God actually gives us some stories of people in the Bible who were spiritual superstars and yet they battled with anxiety. And anxiety came into their lives and they'll come into our lives and they'll creep in at different times. And here's some of the ways that anxiety will creep in in seasons of your life. The first one is when I experience change. Whenever you experience some kind of change in your life, you should already realize that anxiety is going to hit. There was a guy by the name of Moses who was simply a shepherd. He was out in the field. Everything's going great. And God makes a change in his life. 
For 400 years, uh, the people of Israel had been in slavery, and now all of a sudden he calls Moses to go and to bring the people out of slavery and into a promised land. Out of Egypt, where they had only known slavery for these 400 years. And God had a plan to kind of rescue his people. And so he goes to this shepherd and he says, now you're going to be a prophet. That's one change. And another change is, you're going to go to Pharaoh and this is what I want you to do. Um, he says, I want you... Uh, he says, now, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to... And what's the next word? What is it? Demand. It's really important. To demand that he let you lead my people out of Egypt. Now, I find this very interesting that God uses this particular word. Because if you think about it, in our uh, culture today, we don't think about someone being a god. But in Pharaoh's day, the organizational chart of the world looked like this. Pharaoh, everyone else. That was it. He was considered a god, a battle against the god of the Bible, and then it was everybody else. And at the bottom of the everybody else were these two million slaves. Now, if you're a pharaoh, if you're a king, if you're a president, and you have two million slaves that are doing all of your work, and someone comes and demands that you let the people go and for them to leave, what do you think Pharaoh's response is going to be? No! This is your labor. They're not going to let them go. And then God says, well, I don't want you to go and ask. I don't even want you to go and tell. But what was the word again? Demand. Yeah, he actually says, I want you to demand him to let them go. And when all of this happens, the anxiety of Moses goes higher and higher and higher to a point in which he says this, but I'm not the person for a job like that. Think about that. Nobody would want that job. And the stress and the anxiety goes to a high, high level. And then he says, without hesitation, well now I need you to publicly speak in front of people too, Moses. I know you've just been a kind of a shepherd, but now I want you to do this. And so he comes to Moses, and this is what he says. Um, I want you to be a public speaker. And Moses responds, Oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even you have spoken, even after you have spoken to me, for I have a speech impediment. Lord, please send someone else. In other words, his anxiety is so high. He's like, God, I can't do this. Please send somebody else. Folks, when change comes to your lives, when people call us to do something, whether it's a new job, whether it's a move, whether it's some other change in your life, it can be overwhelming. But in both cases, as Moses is feeling this high anxiety, the God of the universe comes to him and says this. God said to Moses, I will certainly, then what's the last three words? Be with you. And then later on, the text goes on to say this. Don't be afraid. He says, hey, I know you're going through this change. I've asked you to do this. But 
I will be with you. I will certainly be with you. Don't be afraid. When change comes, folks, it always brings anxiety, but God promises to be with you, and because of that promise that He's with us, then we don't have to be afraid. As I shared earlier, um, in eighth grade, my dad came to our family and said, I feel like God is calling us to leave Marion, Indiana, and go to Anderson. And I said, well, God's calling you, but he ain't calling me. And he said, no, 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 he's calling all of us, Chris. It's going to be great. And so we moved 30 miles, but to me it felt like a galaxy away. It was the biggest change in my life up until that point in my life. When we moved to Anderson, I didn't know a single person, and I had absolutely no friends. And so my dad said, well, you know, I think it'd be good if maybe you went out for the football team. You know, you'd be able to meet some friends, and, you know, uh, you wouldn't be as anxious. So I went out for the football team, and in eighth grade, I was the starting quarterback for our team, so I went out for quarterback. And I became the starting quarterback at Anderson Madison Heights High School for the freshman team. Now, there was just one slight problem with my dad's theory. There was a young guy named Mike Patel who was the quarterback all through middle school, and now he was no longer quarterback. But everyone who was on the offensive line was his friend. And guess whose friend they weren't? Me! So every time, literally, the first two games, I would hike the ball. I would take two steps back, and then i just fell to the ground. Because they all were like Moses and the open sea. Go get him! I love my dad. Not, I mean, yeah, I love my dad. But the anxiety was so, so high. And it was overwhelming to a point that I really had to struggle to even go to school. And I remember my mom pulling me aside one day, because I'd given up on my dad at that point. And she said this. She said, Chris, you know, you are never alone because God is with you. And you know why I get emotional about that? Because I still remember that to this day. And it's one thing now that I tell my kids. And if the truth were known, I keep telling myself that every single day. God is certainly with me. And because He is, I don't have to be afraid. Now, there's one way that we experience loss is when we have change. The second way that we experience loss is, uh, if we pull it up here, is when I, or when I experience change, the second way is when I experience loss. Anytime that you experience loss, you will find anxiety will increase as well. When I experience change, it comes, and when I experience loss. Now, here's the thing about loss. We all know that loss is going to hit our lives, but we're never ready for it, are we? No matter how prepared you are, you're never prepared to lose the job, to lose a relationship, to lose someone in your life who you love. And when loss hits, it always increases the anxiety in our life. Sickness is a loss of health, 
Unemployment is a loss of work. Divorce is a loss of a breakup. Betrayal is a loss of a friendship. Injury is a loss of ability. Death is a loss of life. And all of you have experienced one or maybe more of those kind of losses within your life. And here's the thing. When loss comes to our life, we always feel unprepared. We never feel like we're ready for it, and loss comes and it rocks our world. And when that happens, the anxiety level in our life goes high. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of David who uh, was considered the greatest king of the Old Testament. And uh, he actually was a person, though, who struggled greatly with anxiety, especially uh, when it came to his loss of a child later in his life. You see, uh, David, when he first came onto the scene, he was given a title that no one else was given in the entire Bible. He was given the title, A Man After God's Own Heart. And so he's a man after God's own heart, and yet at the same point, he is a person who is extremely anxious. And you can understand. Uh, One day, uh, he was just out uh, tending uh, his flock of sheep. Moses and he were both shepherds. And uh, in the midst of all of this, uh, God comes to him, and he lines up all of his brothers. And he says, I'm going to choose one of you as king. And he rejects all of his older brothers, and David is the runt of the family. He's the youngest, and they choose him. And his brothers abandon him. And so he goes through this loss of abandonment. Then, after he's actually called king, what he finds out is that he doesn't immediately become the king. He actually is like a king in waiting. There's already a king there, and if you're a king... You don't want to give up your kingship. And that guy was the name was the name of Saul. And Saul was just so, so committed to keeping his kingship that for years he went after David to try to kill him. Now, if someone is trying to kill you, do you think you would have some anxiety? Yeah. I mean, some of you have anxiety when someone changes the television, right? I mean, it's like overwhelming. And so he has this high level of anxiety as well. But his greatest anxiety took place when he lost his child. You see, David's a man after God's own heart, but the thing about David too is that he was also an adulterer and a murderer. What did he do? He had an adulterous affair with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. One day he's on the top of his palace as king. He looks out, he sees her bathing, he calls her over, they sleep together, and she becomes pregnant. When she becomes pregnant, he's like, oh man, what am I going to do now? And so David goes, oh, Uriah, I know him, he's one of my buddies. I'll put him at the front of the battle, and I'll let everyone else back away, and he'll die, and they'll think it's Uriah's child, and then I can marry them. So he loses his integrity. He loses his name. He loses his reputation. He loses everything. Well, eventually Bathsheba has this baby, and we find out that the baby is born with some kind of sickness. And David starts feeling guilty because he knows what he has done. David's heart breaks for this child because he knows it's not the child's fault, it's his fault for what is getting ready to happen. And so for the next seven days, 
he fasts and prays and asks God, would you do something to be able to do this? But at the end of that time, the baby dies. And he says, in high anxiety, God, what am I going to do? You see, David's highest anxiety, folks, wasn't when he was abandoned by his family, although for some of you, maybe that's yours today. He wasn't necessarily filled with great anxiety when he was hunted down by a king, although maybe some of you feel like someone's trying to take you out. He wasn't necessarily filled with the highest anxiety when he committed adultery, when he committed murder, but his greatest level anxiety came when he lost his child. He had such great guilt and loss because of what he had done. And in the middle of his pain, David had to make a decision. He could let the anxiety and the pain take him out, or he could surrender his anxiety to God. He could allow his anxiety to actually bring him closer to God, to make him more dependent on the one who knows him best and loves him most, or he could curl up in a fetal position in the corner for the rest of his life. Folks, for 70% of us, there are many times in which we feel like that. I feel so anxious. Why is this going on? I'd rather just go somewhere else. I'd rather get away. But what if, what if, just what if, what if God could take your anxiety and use it as simply a way to draw you closer to him? David realized it was through his anxiety that he actually was able to draw closer to God and he wrote all of these different psalms in the scripture to give comfort and he shares about his anxious thoughts. But uh, in uh, Psalm 94, it says this. David says, in the multitude of my what? What's it say? Anxieties, the multitude. And we know what that's like. We feel that within me. Your what? What's the next word? Your comforts delight my soul. That in our anxiety, God longs to be able to provide comfort for us. You know, psychologists came up with a uh, phrase called a non-anxious presence. It's basically the concept where there are people that can be in our life who can be a non-anxious presence. They can help us to calm down, not become overwhelmed, can relax. And we need those people in our life. Maybe some of you have some of them. But you know what? As much as um, I love my wife, who is kind of my non-anxious presence, as much as I uh, value the fact that she's there for me and she'll help me to calm down with my anxiety and help me deal with that, I've learned, folks, that even with her, the closest person in my life, that she's not the closest one who can do that for me. And I, I've thought about it in my life, that this is really the truth, that God is the ultimate non-anxious presence. When I come into his presence, sometimes I don't always feel it. But if I sit there long enough, and I'm still enough, God comes to me, and he gives me peace, and he is my ultimate non-anxious presence in my life. I mean, when my anxiety kicks in, God uses it. And I've seen this multiple times in my life. He actually uses it to say, Chris, are you going to trust me or are you going to try to just deal with it on your own? And he becomes that non-anxious presence who is there for me. And one of the ways I do this is I actually take his word and I try to memorize a few verses. You can memorize all kinds of stuff. You memorize 
basketball scores, football scores. Some of you memorize lines on television. You can do this. And one that I found that's very encouraging to me is in 2 Timothy, and it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you've battled with anxiety any time in your life, what you'll know is that sometimes your mind is your worst enemy. Your mind will actually kind of spin things around to make you think things that would never happen in a million years. I remember in the early days of the church, uh, we, we got to a point that we were about 150 people, and uh, we had some staffing changes, and, and I thought, man, the church is going to fold. And I'm like, Jen, the church is going to die next week. She's like, has it died any this year? I'm like, no, but next week, no one's coming. And you, we can do that with our mind, right? Like, all of a sudden. Now, don't, don't like, test me on it next week, okay? And, like, no one show up. Um, but, but you can do that. You know what I mean? Like, you can do things in your mind that make absolutely no sense. And so Scripture becomes that place where I go, you know what? God did not give me a spirit of fear or anxiety, I mean, I battle it, but he didn't give that to me. He doesn't want me to live there. I may visit that island, but I don't live on that island. And, and the truth is, is that I've been given power and love and a sound mind. And many times I'll be like, God, just give me a sound, sound mind. Remember, God is the ultimate non-anxious presence in your life. The more time you spend with him, the more that anxiety is able to to be able to under, be understood. Here's a, a third kind of season in our life where anxiety creeps in, and it's when we experience high expectations. When you and I either place high expectations on ourselves that are unrealistic, or we receive them from someone else and we accept it that we have to follow through, that's when anxiety can kick in. You know, nobody in the history of the world ever had a higher expectation placed on them than Jesus himself, kind of our third character. We had Moses, David, and now Jesus. I mean, his heavenly Father called him to leave heaven where he had been from the beginning of all time to come and to teach people how to connect with the God of the universe, how to live God's ways. And then... After he did this for three years, he had gathered like thousands and thousands of people and he said, hey, guess what? Now I have even a higher expectation and it is that you will give your one and only life on a cross to die for not your sins, because you never sinned, but the sins of the whole world. The sins of every single person in the balcony, everyone down here, everyone in the world. All of the sins of the world came up on Jesus on his shoulders when he went to the cross. And this is basically what happened, folks. The God of the universe looks down at his son, but he doesn't see his son because what he sees is all of our sin. And for the first time, theologically, in the history of the world, the God of the universe turns his back on his son. Now, some of you who are not uh, maybe familiar with uh, with the whole Christianity thing, you're like, oh my gosh, that'd be a horrible God to follow. Well, three days later, you know, it all turned out pretty well, I would say. But the God of the universe is a holy God. He is holy. He cannot have sin around Him. 
He is holy, and if He's holy, He's always holy. He's not just holy at some time or another time, but He's holy all the time. And when all of the sin, His plan, was placed upon His Son, He turned His back from His sin. And how do we know that? Because when Jesus is on the cross, He cries out to His Father these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, He was God forsaken. And He took on this anxiety. What did this anxiety look like, though? Like at a human level? Well, I think we see it best on the night before He goes to the cross. Let's look at a story of Him in the garden. Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, in other words, being in anxiety, being in fear, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like, what's the next three words? Drops of blood. Falling to the ground. Jesus, being 100% divine but 100% human, takes on every anxiety and fear that you and I have. And the Scripture says His anxiety was so high. The expectation was so high because He knew what He was going to experience. That He sweat what was like drops of blood. You know, I'm so grateful to a God of the universe who loved me enough to place all the sin, all of my sin that I'll ever commit, on to Jesus. But it wasn't easy for him. And he felt the anxiety so great. Think about that. So much stress, so much anxiety, so much worry, worry that you actually literally are sweating drops of blood. You know, one time I tried to uh, figure out, like, could that happen? Like, medically speaking, could a person become so stressed out, so anxious, so much, and I read these articles, that it can. Now, I've never known anyone, I've never seen anyone, but it happened. And the reason he did that was because of the high expectation that God the Father placed on him. Now, you and I will never have to carry that high of an expectation. But the reality is some of you walk through life with high expectations all the time, either that other people placed on you or that you have for yourself. And I just want to pause for a moment and talk to all of you who are parents for a second. That if you have a child, be very, very careful of what high expectation you place on them. Now, the reality is every good parent should have expectations for their kids. Uh, I do. But one of the things that I valued so much about my parents, both during middle school and high school, is that they never were worried that if I failed. They were like, it's okay. And so they wanted me to do my best, but they didn't put higher expectations on myself than what I would do myself. And Parents, there is so much uncertainty, especially if you have a middle school or high school student, during that time that you have to really think about, is this my expectation or is this the child's? 
I want to encourage you, parents of middle school and high school students, that this is probably the most anxious time of a, a person's life. Many of them are extremely anxious about one question, and here it is. What do my friends think of me? They go through their whole time, and now with social media, it's even worse. What do my friends think of me? But you know what the reality is? Every single adult in this place thinks that as well. No matter how old you are, you think, what do my friends think of me? And if you're in middle school or high school, am I dressing right? Am I talking right? Am I handling myself in such a way that my friends would approve or affirm? And if I'm not, then that means that I'll be kicked out, I'll be made fun of, I won't be a part of something. And anxiety, friends, hits a very high level during this time because kids in middle school and high school are obsessed with making sure that their friends think highly of them. So all I'm saying, if you're parenting, be conscious of that. Have expectations. You should have expectations for your kids. That's good parenting. But don't make it so high that it's overwhelming for them. Folks, if Jesus experienced anxiety and he was perfect, we're going to feel it too. But what is good to know is this. What's really good to know is that when anxiety hits because of change, when anxiety hits because of loss, when anxiety hits because of high expectations, the God of the universe comes to you and says, just like he said to Moses and David, I am certainly with you. Do not be afraid. Folks, there's no doubt about it. The greatest struggle that I've ever had in my life is my battle with anxiety. Although on the outside, you might be like, well, man, you always seem confident, and you know, you're funny, and you're up there, and just underneath the surface, I, I often feel extremely anxious and fearful. What if I fail? What if the church fails? Am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Am I faithful enough? Do I spend enough time with my wife? Do I invest in my kids? Do I spend time with my friends? What do people think of me? And all of you are looking at me right now. Like, what are you thinking about me right now? And there's a piece of me that I hate that I'm not okay. That I'm really not. That I struggle with this. See, I don't want anyone to see my insecurities, to be quite honest. I don't want anyone to know that I'm anxious. I want to hide it. I want to keep it away from people to see. I want people to think that I'm okay when I'm really not. Folks, here's the thing. God does, though, some of His greatest work when we're limping in our weakness than He could ever do in our strength. Let me say that. Sometimes God does His greatest work, honestly, when we're limping and in our weakness rather than our strength. One of my favorite Scripture verses, Paul says this. Um, he says these words. Crash. All right. Look in your program. These are the words that he says. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. In other words, in our anxieties, our stresses, being overwhelmed. And then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
It totally goes against everything that we think of. It should be when you're strong, you're strong, and you're weak, you're weak. But he actually says the opposite. When I am weak, that's when I'm more dependent upon God, and that's when I become strong. Folks, this life is not easy. You're going to have anxiety. Uh-oh, what, did we find? Oh, good. Ta-da, thank you. Um, but the presence of anxiety does not equal a lack of faith. I just want you to know, whatever anxiety you deal with, it does not equal a lack of faith. So this is kind of the way I thought we would close today, is that we would give you a moment for you to be able to just have a moment with God. And I want to make this very, very practical and very, very simple. I want to give you maybe what is the four most important words that you'll ever be able to share with God. And that God of the universe wants to hear this from you. That whenever you're going through something that you're anxious about, here are the four most important words. And you might want to write these down to remember them. But Lord, I need you. That when you wake up in the morning and you're anxious, and believe me, I probably spend five to six days a week where I wake up and I'm anxious. And the first prayer I go, Lord, I need you today. I can't go through this day without you. Lord, I need you. Maybe your anxiety today is with your work or with your career or maybe with your finances. Like bankruptcy may be close and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Lord, I need you. Maybe you're sitting there today and you battle anxiety daily like I do. And each morning you need to be able to say, Lord, I need you. For some of you, at least a third of you, you don't get very anxious about things. You're like, well, I don't need to say that. Well, if you're going to be empathetic and loving and understanding towards a person who struggles with that, you need to be able to say, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me to know how to understand what the person that I love is going through. Now, for some of you, you're sitting there today, and honestly, you think, hey, I got it all together. I'm good. And yet, there's pieces of you that are just kind of broken. And everyone on the outside thinks you're doing really great, but on the inside, there's a sense of emptiness and pain and aloneness, and there's this anxiety that you experience. And you need to be able to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And every time we reach up to Him and we say, Lord, I need you, He reaches down from heaven and says, I am certainly with you. Don't be afraid. You know, today the God of the universe calls out to everybody in this auditorium and says, it's okay not to be okay. And our response should be, Thanks, God. Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart 
Lord, I need you. Oh, I Sing as a family to sing the rest of this song. So teach my song to rise in you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Let's sing that again. So teach my soul to rise in you. When temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand out for all you. So Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need you. My My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Let's pray. God, we uh, come to you today as people who are not okay. And God, we need you. Our struggles are real, God, and we need you. Some of us are battling some anxieties right now and we are just overwhelmed to the max. Some of us are going through some really difficult challenges right now, changes in our life. We've experienced a loss of a loved one. The funeral's over, everyone's left, but the grief is thick and we struggle with it. We've lost a job. We've lost a relationship. We're feeling anxiety. It almost feels like we can't even come up to breathe. Others of us feel high expectations, maybe from our parents or a boss or just expectations that we place on ourselves. And as you stand there today, you want everyone to think that, hey, I got it together. But the reality is you feel alone and empty and desperate and you don't know what to hold on to and your anxiety is sky high. And right now I want to encourage you to bring whatever your burden is, whatever that one anxious thing is in your life, that you would come and give it to God. If you have some worry or fear or anxiety, 
that you're battling right now. Every eye closed. But if you're battling something in your life right now, you're anxious, you're worried, it keeps you up at night, you can't get to sleep. Whatever that one thing is right now, that if you're battling some anxiety in your life, would you just lift your hand to God right now? Just just lift it up. And I want you to know that as you lift your hand up, that the God of the universe is reaching down to you right now. And He's reminding you, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Loving God, I pray that You would be with each person who has a hand raised. Remind them it's okay to not be okay. And that You're with them and You're for them. And whatever the anxious piece of their life is that they feel overwhelmed by, God, right now, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, would You move and comfort them. Let them know that they're not alone, that You're with them, You're for them. Because God, we need You. We need You right now. Help us in Your presence. You can put your hand down. Now maybe for some of you, your anxiety, quite honestly, is that you don't have a relationship with God. You have been kind of doing your own thing, but you know that there's something missing in your life. And maybe today it's like, I want to give my anxieties, my fears, all of that to Him. But it's not just that. I, I, I'm tired of this path. I want to give my life to You today, God. And if you're ready to surrender to Him, if you're ready to say, God, I need Your forgiveness, I need Your second chance, I need a new plan, I want Your burden, or for You to take my burdens away from me, I want the assurance of heaven. If you're ready to make that commitment today, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And it's a prayer that we never pray alone here at the jar. We always pray in community to build one another up. But I invite you to repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, take my anxiety. I give my life to You. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe You died and rose again so I could live with You. Fill me with Your Spirit so I could know You, serve You, and follow You for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to You. Thank You for new life. Now You have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.